Venivores, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt, or haven't hunted, or haven't hunted much, want to learn, or want to learn. Feel that tingling in the back of my neck. You have to be there. You have to be there. You, you don't know it at the time, yeah. you know, but it sticks with you all your life. And you you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter. Welcome back to the New Venivores episode whatever. A podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt, um, want to hunt, want to learn how to hunt, are new to outdoors and hunting in general, and it's about fishing too. This is Tony Martinson with... This is Adam Miller. We're, we're trying our very first uh, remote recording here, so bear with us if the sound quality isn't as good. We, yeah, yeah, we try to put, you know... For our limited resources, we do try to make quality uh, sound for you folks out there. We we know we appreciate listening to podcasts, so hopefully this one turns out well. Absolutely, DIY like we said, DIY the hunts, DIY the podcasts. So um, I'm in my basement mm-hmm. in Anoka, Minnesota, and you are in lovely northwestern Tioga, right? Uh, well, I yes, I'm in northwest North Dakota. We, I, a little oil town called Tioga. This is where a lot of my actual work happens. Um, so when I when I'm forced to, you know, go make money. Mm-hmm. So decent spots to go <laughs> hunting out there, though. In that area. There is. There's actually a surprising amount of waterfall in this area. Lots um, of prairie potholes out there. A lot of a lot of prairie potholes from like here. If you look at a map. You can kind of, you know, determine uh, if you look where the Missouri River is, and it mm-hmm. kind of goes generally east and west for a ways till it gets about the middle of North Dakota, and then it stops and goes north and south. Mm-hmm. So everything north and east of that line is kind of the, you know, until it gets the river valley anyway, is the prairie bottle region, and it mm-hmm. is the duck factory of the country. So. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ducks to be had, mostly puddlers, but um, there's a fair amount of divers. You get over there in the Devil's Lake regions and what have you, and some of the, the wildlife refuges. So, um, if you're a lot of waterfall guy, you know, there's a, North Dakota is a good place to be. So. For sure, for sure. So, we were going to talk about next on our list for our topics was going to be something that because we were kind of on a theme with fishing of a little bit easier things to do to get yourself out there with your mm-hmm. kids and your family and things like that, getting people in the woods, starting learning more about the environment and the solution or in the situation around you. And uh, one of the things that I've found that was sort of just a, uh, it was more of an afterthought on a lot of the things that come with getting out in the woods and stuff, especially in the springtime is I was sort of scouting out some spots around and about my area to think about going turkey hunting in the spring next year actually was what my main focus was. But we started talking about you can find morels in the springtime. And I was like, oh, Uh I never thought about that, (laughs) you know. And 
foraging is one of those things. And we talked about it. I got pretty interested in it and looked into it some more. And there are a lot of groups out there. And it turns out pretty much all from the time the snow melts to the time the snow flies, there's different things popping up around the forest that are awesome eating that you can go out and get yourself. Depending on the laws in your area, you can do it right on like parks and public lands and things like that. I mean, I looked into the laws and all the public lands around here, as long as you don't go and get pounds and pounds and pounds of the forageable food off of there, it's fair game. Funny enough, like it's not even like some where we're talking, you know, obviously we're big public land advocates and oftentimes by that we mean places that are still relatively wild, but like... I have foraged like golf courses and like yeah. public parks for shaggy made mushrooms because they grow on like cut grass yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> in like these parks. And I was like, oh, hey, shaggy made, you know, you know, just pick like basically what I needed for that day because they don't last long, but they're a really good mushroom and they're yeah. one of like the safe six or something like that for yeah. people to take. So, or, you know, maybe they're, well, they, they do have one lookalike and it right. is, I'm not even sure what the real name is, but it's nickname is the vomiter. Oh. So make sure you, make sure you get that one right. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to say right up front on this podcast is <laughs> we stress educating yourself, doing your scouting, making sure you understand what you're doing before you get out there and do it. And with foraging specifically for fungus and mushrooms in the wild or outside can be something that you can get in over your head with quickly when it comes to identification. And you must be 100% positive before you eat anything because you can get yourself into some real trouble pretty fast with just going out there and saying, oh, a yummy mushroom and eating it right up. It's a very, very bad idea. Um, And the reason that this was kind of a a non-starter of a thing to me is uh, when I was in Boy Scouts growing up, when I started to learn a lot about stuff outside, they touch on like, yeah, depending on your region, there are mushrooms that you can pick and eat out of the woods. But don't eat any mushrooms that you find in the woods. And it was especially in like the survival wilderness survival type stuff that I was getting into in that. And it's, yeah, there is fungus that you can eat in the woods. Don't do that. And it was just, just that because they didn't want to get into like teaching kids, you know, like you can't eat this and you can't eat that because it's so region specific. And like you say, there are lookalikes to certain things that, uh, one is delicious and super good for you and goes awesome with your venison tenderloin. And there's one that looks almost exactly like it that will make you vomit for days and days. And maybe like, you know, like some of them have lookalogs that will for sure put you in the hospital and you might be lucky to survive, you know, depending on what fungus there well, is in it's, the forest. It's, so you got to be careful with that. And I want to really drive that point home up front that you must be positive, do your research. And uh, I don't want to scare anybody, but just be careful. Well, they might have been on to something with that being a poor survival food. Right. Um, I don't think there's any wild mushrooms that you should eat with cooking them. Yeah. So if you don't have a way to, 
you know, if you don't have fire, if you're in a survival situation, you know, if you have no way to cook those, yeah. then uh, avoid them even if they are edible just because it's um, – everything I've read is, is it's something that you should – you know, even the the safest ones, like they should be cooked before you consume. So, oh, for sure. Uh, so that's um, well, and even mushrooms that you buy in the grocery store, they can be irritant to the GI tract if you eat a <laughs> bunch of them. So it's just I just want to make sure, and I think also the Boy Scouts of America didn't want to take on the responsibility of telling kids that they can eat fungus that they find in the forest as well, just as a blanket policy. I think they said just don't do that. But, Gee, one of the Boy Scouts gets so soft. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just a joke, folks. <laughs> don't be sending me any hate mail. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to. Uh, on that topic, send us questions and stuff. We'd love to discuss it on here, guys. Um, but uh, it all kind of started with talking about morels, which is kind of the, one of the better known uh, species, varieties, species, mm-hmm. I suppose, uh, that yep. are out there. And a lot of folks come across those on their spring trips, right? When you're getting out there yep. in your spring seasons. And that's when I started. And I found it to be something that was very, very simple to take my four-year-old out to you know i'm lucky enough to be a few miles out of some places with public access refuge refuges and you know parks and things like that so with walking paths and things along that line so i can just take a four-year-old out for you know 45 minutes or after work one day during the week and go walking through and point out this and that and have him look at it and boy when he sees a mushroom he gets super excited <laughs> like still to today he gets very excited about finding them right oh I, yeah i took my whole family out this spring yeah. you know for um you know and it's it's, it's a lot of fun huh? you know if nothing else you're going for a walk in the woods you know we're right. you know finding you know, and you're looking at critters, you know, you know, mm-hmm. it's amazing how excited a five-year-old can get at a squirrel, yeah, you know, so, sure. um, I mean, there's, there's no reason not to do it honestly. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it's one of those things too, well, where morels specifically, I mean, they have one lookalike, but is that I, that you warned me of, but there's also some distinguishing characteristics that are fairly easy to find on that. That's a pretty distinctive looking mushroom as well. So it's Mm -hmm. easy to like show your kids some pictures or your family, some pictures. And you know what I've learned over the last year, even considering this is like, look for standing dead elms on, you know, South facing Hills and all that stuff or morels lower wetter ground earlier in the season and higher. They move uphill as the season goes on you know so it's yep and this like so you have about a three-week window pretty much anywhere you are in in the continental u.s and that includes alaska there's morels in alaska yeah um so and it starts essentially south and north as the Mm -hmm. spring warms up so um you know there's a lot of resources online of like people are willing to like say to like a county like where they're starting right. to see them and you can kind of bet even though if you see them in this county you're going to be seeing them you know yeah somewhere straight you know, elsewhere in the county so. or whatever right you know so it's um i think it's called like the great morale website or something and, and people are pretty open-lipped about 
know, the timing, you know, and you you can also track it, you know, look at it over the course of a couple of years, and you kind of know what's going on. So, yeah. um, you know, there's – so there's like the bushcraft <laughs> thing of it, you know, to when, <laughs> when to is. know – to go out yeah. looking for morels, and that's kind of what I rely on. Yeah, I like I the mother willow solutions more than the yeah. straight science sometimes where you get soil temperature and all that, you know. Yeah, well, it's funny. It's like I grew up, you know, my education is being a scientist, but, it, you know, it's like the bushcraft part, you know, like that's actually a tougher thing to learn, <laughs> you know. Well, and it's funny how they go hand in hand too, right? One's, one's a... a old-timey way of indicating what the science tells you right for Mm -hmm. the most part on a lot of those things i mean some of it is horse feathers but it becomes pretty evident pretty quickly what uh old boy wisdom is good and what isn't when you're out there trying to put it to action right right you know and it's so you know my kind of indicators you know are the first, uh, and these all happen right about the same, you know, within a week or two of each other usually. So, like, when the apple blossoms are out and when the first, you know, big dandelion mm-hmm. uh, uh, burst it comes out, you know, uh, the li- when the lilacs are starting to be in bloom, mm-hmm. that's when I know that, you know, it's morel season when around there. So, that's right around mid-May in North Dakota. Um yeah. You know, week or two either way. So, um, you know, you're barely going to find any in June. You're barely going to find any in April. It's just the way it goes. So, right. They the science part of it is they say when soil temps are between 45 and 50. You know, and then air temps are right around 60 during the day, and it doesn't get colder than 40 at night. So, um, you know, whoever you want to approach it, you know, there's the there's information you need, I guess, for timing. So get in there with uh, the day after a good rain and that temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that temperature. So the next couple rain. days after, especially a good long soak, you know, yeah. where, you know, not, you know, like a deluge, like an inch in like an hour type rain, but yeah. like an inch over like the course of 24 hours. Yeah, if you're not out like two, three days after that, um, you know, in that mid May time, you know, in, in, in our. Um, uh, you're screwing up. So, <laughs> yeah. and I've kind of found that in general with, uh, <laughs> with the foraging is that two, three days after a good long rain is when the stuff is really jumping out of the forest a little bit. So that's kind of a good across the across the board tip. Right, you're lucky in Minnesota. Actually, um, you guys have so many mushrooms over there. It's yeah. not even funny. Well, and it um, stays nice and humid. Like, closer I've been to up the to the north with forest and stuff when after the rain right. like that, so that helps in those conditions. So, sorry I interrupted you. Right. So, but you know, so uh, right now it's uh, so now is a good time for picking out fall mushrooms. Um, mm-hmm. Again, after. You know, it's been cold and rainy up in this part of the world. A lot colder and rainier than it usually is. Um, but uh, I should be seeing shaggy manes, hopefully, if it warms up a little bit here. Um, like I said, I think I mentioned earlier, the shaggy manes, like, you'll find those, like, in cut. I've seen them in people's yards growing in town before, and I, like, yeah. wanted to go ask ask for if I could trespass. So, like, <laughs> like, hey, are you going to eat that? <laughs> yeah. You know? So... <laughs> 
So a shaggy mane is just a really mild, usually kind of a white or cream-colored mushroom. Um, like I said, look like it's called the vomiter. So how you kind of tell them apart is the vomiter. You're breaking like up on scales. Skype a little bit. I think of it as like... Hold on, hold on. You broke up on Skype a little bit there, and I think this is an important point. So you can can you start back with how to identify the vomiter, please? <laughs> <laughs> the vomiter kind of has like scales on it, as you mm. like think of it as like a plaque almost. Like, yeah. Think like a turtle shell kind of have that appearance. Oh, you know, okay. definitely look up some pictures online. Oh, for sure. Whereas the shaggy mane... I kind of like to think that they look like like the bottom of a 1920s flapper dress. Remember oh, how they like Yeah, with the fringe on. They them? have those, have like they have those series of fringes like yeah. stacked. That was a I think they kind of Halloween like that. one year. Yeah. yeah. You were very pretty. Yeah. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> So um, definitely, you know, look into the, you know, the, the, the pictures, you know, but um, that's one mushroom. I don't know if you could dehydrate those or not, but they don't, they don't last long. So like I'll yeah. pick, when I see them, I'll pick like one or two, you know, just for dinner that night because like literally hours and they, they melt away to like a black goo. Uh. Yeah. So when you pick one, you know, be they're very delicate. They bruise easily. So like. Handle it gently, and then yeah. you know, slice them up. Use any word mushroom. Cut off any part that's like getting black or pink, and mm-hmm. they're pretty good. So, well, very very mild flavored mushroom. Yeah, and that's one of many. So when I first got introduced by you to this whole thing through the morels, and I've heard of that before too, but again, I was kind of put off by it from the way I was told to try super hard not to poison myself in the woods um, growing up. So I wanted to know a little bit more. So this is actually one of the benefits of being in a little bit larger metro area or close to a little bit larger metro area here is there's like a pretty rich, small but rich community of people that are very knowledgeable about this in my area here. And I'm not saying there's not where you are, but, you know, we've got... We've got an active population of people that are into doing this, which means... I mean, we're spread out enough where I think there's a decent amount of access to find these things still, but the knowledge base is there. So I got interested, That's, yeah. jumped on social media, and joined three groups that are about Minnesota mushroom and foraging groups. And it's been very, very helpful to have experts. I actually connected with a friend that I used to play rugby with in college who is now studying to be a mycologist, I believe, like I posted on there. And you said before, you will, you would lie to your grandma about a spot to find morels. So I find that interesting <laughs> uh, that there is, that there's a I'm bit of... you where the fish are biting. Yeah, I'm not telling you where to find my morels. <laughs> right. So there's an attitude about like, yeah, I'm in this county, you know, or even here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul Metro, like Southern Metro, Cottage Grove found morels today and you can watch it on these groups like move up through the cities in the metro like throughout a day or two like okay i'm up in anoka yeah. county none yet and then somebody oh you know uh uh you know on the map in ramsey county or whatever so it's interesting 
And so from that, like one of the rules of these groups are like, don't just take a photo and ask what it is and post it on there. You know, do yourself do some research. But if you need help, I need a picture of the gills. I need a picture of the cap. I need a picture of the of it before you cut it in the ground information about where you found it. If you could do a spore print, that would be very helpful, you know, and we there we're not liable for anything that you eat like this is just for <laughs> help you know but it's very very useful to follow that sort of thing and watch what other people are posting read what other people are saying about it that sort of stuff uh i posted a few things like when i first joined i was like hey i'm new to this i'm not asking you for your spots but what are some good resources that you like to use for your identification purposes what books do you go to is there some good references and any tips about conditions would be great but i'm no better than to ask you where to go you know and that got a lot of response on that because of the conversations we had you know like where you said here's what you kind of want to look for i'm not going to tell you where to go but you know standing dead elms all this stuff and it started with morels it's it's really rude to ask for somebody's spot oh for sure in general I mean, you you might as well. Well, we won't get into that, but right, <laughs> like, right. just in general too, and that's across the board. Like, nice deer. Where'd you shoot it? You know, like, oh, you got a lot of ducks. Where are you hunting right now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, oh, cool. You got a whole mess of crappies. Specifically, where on which lake are you getting those? Like, <laughs> you know, is pretty bad form, but you get to talking to people like we said before you know you get to talking to the guys on the lake or you get to talking to the duck hunting buddies that you have and you get to know in some of the spots and it gets a little more open when you're with the people that you know but not for mushrooms nobody will tell you where they found those mushrooms ever you know it's it's fun you know and i don't want to make it sound more difficult than it is but you're gonna especially when you know i only started foraging a couple years ago you know and finding those spots was difficult but you know once you know what to look for you're gonna have that aha Uh moment you know eureka you know and you know then all of a sudden you're looking at the woods in an entirely different way like i'm marking spots now where i'm out you know hunting and like oh i gotta come back to this in the morels here you know so well you know you just kind of build in that database in your head all the time now absolutely and so that is one of the things that i've also really learned about that in forging too is it connects you to the bushcraft so much more because Mm -hmm. yeah okay so you're looking for pheasants and you're looking for the places that you find pheasants right and you're looking for a spot to put your tree stand and you're looking for, you know, sort of newer growth forest with some good under, uh, undergrowth, good things that deers eat, right? Like we said, find the, mm-hmm. find the habitat, but you're not necessarily like, I've heard other people make the point on other podcasts, like how many guys can tell you what kind of tree their tree stand is in, you know? Mm-hmm. And with, as you pers- as you progress through the species that pop out of the forest of mushrooms, I mean, throughout the year. So you start with morels, and then uh, chicken of the mm-hmm. woods start popping, and then you get into or, and oysters, and well, probably oysters first, then chicken of the woods, then hen of the woods, and chanterelles, and lobsters, and all these different species throughout the year come up at different times, and they seem to stack up one behind the other, like the good ones that people are looking for right now, right? But they all have different <laughs> conditions on what they grow on. 
and you're looking for right. different species of uh, trees and undergrowth and things in various states of decay in different stands in different light and temperature and weather conditions that you need to be a lot more connected to uh, to find your mushrooms and like you say the scouting overlaps from hunting to foraging and the knowledge of the forest that you need to find and figure out in order to find mm-hmm. the mushrooms only contributes to finding game species as well absolutely and then you know funny enough that like there's places where the game species um really enjoy those mushrooms so like you, <laughs> you know so yeah. like I've, I've known a lot of guys that or you know the, they're hunting uh they're looking for mushrooms on like old old uh forest service trails in montana mm-hmm. yep and like have a bear tag in their pocket because the bear is doing the exact same thing you know right. so right. it's like you know so that's you know good good last meal for the bear and then pair those mushrooms with the bear so <laughs> exactly you know it'll taste good if the bear's been eating them it'll be a great right. pairing <laughs> yeah you know so yeah so it's great to get your kids out there and doing it get great to get the family involved uh again be careful though because like as i've been following some of these groups like i see people with these giant like Amanita muscaria looking mushroom caps that are like the Super Mario Brothers looking thing, right? Maybe not that bright colored, mm-hmm. but uh, I saw one just the other day. This lady was posting it, holding it. She's like, what's this? Anybody have an ID? Which is against the rules of the group. But the very first one was like death in a mushroom cap. Like, do not eat that, you know? Like some of Put those... Put that down. Go wash your hands. Yeah. yeah and <laughs> don't like, touch so... your face. <laughs> yeah, don't touch your face, don't touch your mouth, don't prepare food, don't go to the bathroom, put it down and wash your hands immediately. And, like, I tell my son that, too, like, even, because, I mean, even at our lake cabin, we have fiddleheads growing under the deck, which is... Yummy, by the way. Yeah, which is another thing to forage, a type of fern that, uh, when it first comes out, it's curled up, and you pick those little fiddleheads and saute them like asparagus, pretty much, right? <laughs> I think they're kind of a, a mild asparagus. Yeah. Um, I have some growing in my yard now at my new house. That was a really pleasant surprise nice. this spring. And, like, yeah, I went out and picked a bunch. And so, like, I sautéed some. Um, yeah, it's it just a just it's just a really yummy, like, fresh green, you know, kind of an asparagus-type deal. And you, yeah. Uh, you know, you come out of winter and you're, especially when you're coming out of winter and you're just craving like fresh, you know, produce. And those are uh, super you, early in the spring too, that those start coming up. So that's really nice. They're pretty early. Yeah. yeah. I want to say it's like mid again, you know, so like, time, yeah. yeah, there's all kinds of yummy things right then. You know, there's ramps, there's, ramps too, yeah. uh, um, if those that don't know, ramps are kind of an onion type thing, like a wild leek thing is what some folks call them. Yeah. Um, wild asparagus is kind of a misnomer. It's more of a feral asparagus. There's it's, it's actually asparagus. You could just call yeah, it it's just, just asparagus. asparagus. <laughs> so, like, a good place to look for that is your neighbor's yard. So, mm-hmm. um... <laughs> I found some across the street from my house in a public park. Yeah. I see it growing in ditches pretty often. Yeah. Uh, I'll see it, you know, you'll see it like old farm, abandoned farmsteads as they used to have an asparagus patch and it comes mm-hmm. back every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it's one of those things that's similar to like, 
like, uh, let's just say it, it just tastes different when you go out and collect it than when you buy it in the grocery store. It just tastes fresher. Yeah. I don't know what else to explain it, but other than it's wonderful. So like, but yeah. you know, they pick it at certain times. Like I've, I've went out and picked like 18 inch stalks of asparagus, you know, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The so one, the little bit I found was pretty, uh, pretty burly sized for asparagus. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of weird. It had some like ants and stuff on it. So I left it. I didn't really want to mess with it too much. And I, you know, was pretty new to it at the time, but I was like, I think that's asparagus. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. But since then I've done some more research and I will be going back to that spot, uh, in the yep. spring. You can pretty much count on that being back every year. So. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah, as it, as it proceeds, th- well, and another thing too is when you're going out scouting, you can have like tangible things to bring home and eat that day. If you know where you're looking, you know, or if you keep your eyes open a little bit, or if you're hunting in a place that you know has things to forage and you don't have a quote unquote successful hunt, you can still bring some stuff home, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, perfect example. I was out looking for ducks the other day, um, public lands and went and found a, or walk through the woods, get into a spot, and you know, once you train your eyes to spot these things, it becomes a lot easier to spot. And like, oh, hey, there's an oyster. Let's go sure. with my ribeye tonight. For sure. You know, so it ended up being kind of an older oyster. It had a lot of bugs in it, but you know, um, there are ways to take care of those. You know, that's yeah. Oysters are another really super easy to identify, a safety one, and, and, and plentiful. There's a lot of oysters out there. Yeah, they're, so, it smells like licorice. Um, if you think it's a little again, light smells like licorice right that's what i keep hearing people say yep. well, black licorice yep right yeah it's got a niece and nice and anus? anus i don't know how do you pronounce it? <laughs> i think it's that last one you said <laughs> say it like that from now on <laughs> okay I'll, I'll say it like that <laughs> anyway you'd recognize the word if you saw it <laughs> i think it's spelled and, a-n-i-s-e yeah yeah so yeah, uh, that one and uh, Chicken of the Woods are also extremely identifiable. Like the bright orange sort of, uh, I think it's kind of, it's like a shellfish, but kind of lumpy looking, right? And they can grow all over stumps and things. And when you cut them up and fry them up, they taste like chicken. And earlier the better, but uh, yeah, but that's another one that I don't think has any like real lookalikes. So that's a super safe one. That's like mid summer time to just get out and well, not super safe, but that's on the safer end of things to mid summer time, get out and go looking for. It. And it jumps right out at you too. When you see this bright orange fungus growing on the side, of bright orange, stuff. bright yellow. Yeah. Um, definitely get that one early. Yeah. Uh, bugs and birds love to eat those, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, it starts getting to an adulthood. First, it's, the mushroom's going to get tougher. It's going to get drier. But yeah, it's going to get a lot of bugs in it. But some of those can get massive. Like you can pick like a 10 pound mushroom. Oh, yeah. I've seen so, photos of whole stumps just covered in them. Mm-hmm. I haven't found any. And you're yep, still so, um, Where I've seen them is um, usually on dead oaks. Yeah, that's Better dying oaks. Advice I've heard on that too. I'm I'm telling you, man. These these groups so, social. This is one of the places where we say get out and find a group of like-minded people. 
this particular subject is one of the things where I've found this group on social media to be very uh, helpful and uh, knowledgeable and a huge, rich source of knowledge for me, at least, and even to just observe, but also to ask questions of and to get information about, you know, what's what to even be looking for and where is has been priceless. It's been awesome. It would have taken me years of research if there wasn't for social media to even understand what I get just week in and week out from those groups. Right. And you could, I mean, I really want to stress how low of input cost you need on this. You know, you might be able to literally walk to it. You know, all you really need is a pocket knife and something to carry it in. I've used all these like a laundry bag sometimes, Mm -hmm. something porous. Yeah, you know, cloth, uh, bags a lot. cloth bags, you know, so I mean, use a pillowcase, just something that's going to shed moisture and heat when you pick it up, you know, because you don't want to spoil them. So, yeah. but I mean, it's so, so little cost put in, you know, to get yourself out and start, you know, collecting some calories from the woods. So for sure. And learning about the total picture of the interaction of the woods and the plains or the whatever, uh, ecology you're out and about in, but learning more about how it all connects together and getting just putting the time in out there too. Mm-hmm. It's a cool time to be out and be out and about, man. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, everything's greening up, you know, there's baby critters running around. Uh, um, obviously there's a lot of ticks, um, but right. you know, there's ways to mitigate that or you can just be like me and Maybe I literally have like 20 ticks get attached <laughs> yeah, I need to get treated for Lyme disease almost yearly and yeah. had like 20 ticks attached this spring. Just gross. So, <laughs> one of those costs of doing business sometimes. Yeah, so, you learn. Yeah. You just deal with it. <laughs> yeah. It's like mosquitoes. They can be unbearable, but you can also just learn to deal with them sometimes. <laughs> um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. I've heard... So. Uh, I've heard that advice from fighters too. Be comfortable where other men are uncomfortable and you will succeed. <laughs> yeah. Just be okay with getting punched in the face. Right. Embrace <laughs> the suck. That's what David Garner doesn't hurt says. that bad. <laughs> yeah. Embrace the suck. That is true. Yep. So, uh, I mean, I don't know how much more I have to say about it other than it's a good way to get out, get yourself out in the woods. It's something you can do mm-hmm. in the evenings. Uh, and get the family and really get kids involved in it's awesome teaching tool for kids to really start sh- having them be observant about things in the woods and in the forest and in nature that and learn about it and know what to look for and what it means when you see this and that and start reading sign and things like that and you can also point out game sign and you know uh, potential habitat for game animals and stuff as you go so it's a really good way to introduce that early and often with kids and family and engage your family in things. Cause like we said before, you're not going to have your whole family in the duck blind, like probably unless your family's awesome, but it's a good way to get everyone involved and not leave your kids and wife at home <laughs> five, six, seven nights a week. So, right. Well, and it's, you know, like, I'll, you know, we've talked mostly for this podcast about mushrooms, but I like I keep a running list of like 25 different species, or and it's growing all the time oh, of like sure. 
of plants and mushrooms that I, you know, that I'm looking for and, you know, I'm trying to like categorize, you know, just, you know, and, it, it, and like North Dakota is a tougher place to forage. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of, th- a lot of these things are woods, mm-hmm. uh, woods, uh, species. You broke up again. I got to stop you if you're talking and you can hear me, you broke up again. Not so sure the Here. internet up there in Tioga is up to snuff, but you broke up again there. I don't know if you could hear me. I can now. Okay. So, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of getting out of the time right now in October. Um, there's, but like September time is a great time to be able to pick a lot of different berries. For sure. Um, I, you know, if you can't load up a, a, a serious amount of wild plums in North Dakota, um, you're, you're yeah. really doing it wrong. <laughs> uh, some are, some are very, very sweet. Other ones require a little sugar, but I mean, they're great. I mean, you can make a lot of different preserves with them. My wife likes uh, um, kind of making kind of a semi-homemade wine with them. Um, oh, yeah. I've had plenty of you wild know, wine from North Dakota for sure. You make right. You know, so, I mean, those are super simple, you know, mm-hmm. and you can you can put, put pounds of those away, oh, you yeah. know. So, like, I make. Like I made pair and they pair awesome with wild game. Like I do like mm-hmm. dove poppers with the, that as a dipping sauce, oh, and then and with wild plum dipping sauce, it's spectacular. That you know, so amazing. it's so good. <laughs> so yeah, we've got a pretty good gold mine here in Minnesota, and I'm starting to get better at finding that. But years to come, like I said, starting starting and finding out, I really was just turned hip, and I've found you know wild raspberries in Minnesota and stuff. Uh, growing up and camping and things like that. Um, and now and again, you know, those ramps are pretty easily identifiable. Uh, and in clearings in the older forests here, they come up like crazy. So, but there's a lot of stuff that I'm looking forward to getting more familiar with and finding a lot in the future. And keeping a running list like that is a super good idea that I'm going to absolutely do. I'm hoping to part of my list and I'm, I'm like collecting and categorizing pictures here and descriptions and times a year and taking notes and stuff as I, I'm hoping to put out some resources out there because like I haven't found resources really based on regions, yeah. you know, like a lot of it is like, here's 110 species of plants and they, I'm like, okay, I don't need to know about this species down in Georgia. I don't have that here, right. you know? So right. You know, I'd like to have something more regional. So. That's another thing that we were talking about uh, when I was a kid mm-hmm. is, especially when we talked about this sort of thing, it was in the survival type situations. And the talk about finding plants to eat in a survival type situation was there are plants in your area that you can eat. That is extremely region specific and you need to be very familiar with mm-hmm. your area in order to do that moving on was what we got right because again it was at a sort of <laughs> national level training for that sort of thing so I just found it now that I'm a little more permanent in an area or I'm not going camping in a different spot all the time or whatever or getting out it's in a different spot all the time mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that um, so and it's I find it kind of funny that you know there are some hunting seasons in the spring and you can see the morels and when they're popping up. But then as sort of the summertime drones on is when you get a lot of stuff jumping out of the woods 
and then when October ish hits, you're kind of done foraging, but then it's the bonanza time for hunting and it's, you can really, if you keep yourself, uh, engaged in that stuff, there's really something to do pretty much year round. So I find that very interesting how that all fits together mm-hmm. like that. If, if I find time, I'm going to have to come out your way this February and put do maple syrup too. That's like the, like the master's degree of foraging. Yeah. Finding <laughs> those sugar maples. And when it's, it's when you have to get the right, the right temperatures and the right, uh, daytime temperature and nighttime temperature for when it really runs and all that sort of stuff. If I recall, mm-hmm. I think we got to go pretty far north of where I am. I think we got to go pretty far north of where I am, but I would be interested in doing that sort of stuff. I think you got to get up into the hardwoods for that. But um, I'll we'll figure that out here if you'll take me coyote hunting this winter because I've never been coyote hunting before. <laughs> I, I I'll take you, but I, I would like to state off the bat, I'm not very good at it. That's yet. fine. <laughs> That's fine. I, just, like, I have a hard time, there. like, I have a hard time, like, you. I, th- I feel like you can either be in, you know, if you're just a normal run-of-the-mill Joe and, you know, just working stiff, working your regular work week, you can either be an ice fisherman yeah. or you can be a predator hunter. It's really tough to find time for both. Fair enough. So. Fair enough. Uh, so, I'm going to, I, I, that's why I'm kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta go ice fishing, huh? Not necessarily. Uh, you probably have more experience and are more geared up and know where to go ice fishing, I would say, right? If I had to venture a guess. It's a constant inner battle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same type of thing that happens to me like the last uh, week of October, first week of November. Yeah. It's the time to be hunting everything right so it's like what do you decide to do because you only get so many days <laughs> exactly so that's pretty much all i had to say about foraging i don't know about you for now primary. i bet you know yeah. it's next spring i bet we'll do more of an in-depth morale one so for sure for sure so speaking of the last stay tuned couple, for that yeah and speaking of the last couple of weeks of october real quick how's your fall going so far right now today by the way we're recording it's october 9th um, I haven't set my tree stand once. Right, because you're a bow hunter. Unfortunately, as well, right? my favorite water hole where my my early season stand, my favorite water hole where deer come, they're just it's bone dry. So now I, yeah. I'm waiting for the rut essentially for sitting in my tree stand. So, but that's it's a lot of fun. So honestly, mm-hmm. that doesn't bum me out too much. So I've been putting a lot of birds away. Yeah. Um, I had a couple really good morning dove shoots or hunts this year, um, mm-hmm. and we made all those up fresh. I pretty much made just about all of them except for one night of uh, the dove poppers because um, I'm the only one in my household that eats jalapenos. <laughs> um, us Germans from Russia are really known for our spicy foods. <laughs> so Yeah, all that nefla and fleshnikla <laughs> just blowing the lids off people with spiciness. <laughs> Yeah. but I, I mean, I love them. So, um, yeah. and then a lot of whole fried, whole fried dove, which is fantastic. And I had a really hard time getting a bite because my kids just ate them up like crazy. So yeah. I, so there's that. And then, uh, every weekend since it opened, you know, we've been, I've been laying into ducks. Gotcha. So uh, it's been, um, North Dakota, the first 
essentially the first three weekends has um, a bonus blue wing teal, and oh, they're one of my favorites because they make really good uh, fat to render down. So I've been collecting duck fat and, and uh, you know, and, and getting ducks in the freezer and eating duck and um it's it's one of my favorite it's honestly duck is probably one of the, my our preferred meats in my household yeah. um a lot of people turn their nose up to waterfall uh especially mm-hmm. wild waterfall but Crazy it's fantastic people. if you know what you're doing and like, yeah. my wife prefers that to venison even really so that's don't hear that yeah very often. <laughs> and like she likes it as simple most like not doctored up like as ducky as it can get just about like hmm. like a, a marinade for like an hour throw it on the grill serve it medium rare eat it like a steak sounds like <laughs> your perfect wife yeah. i'm glad you guys found each other <laughs> <laughs> couldn't have done any better mm-hmm. <laughs> so but yeah it's it, you know that's it's you know i like that too obviously um i like some of my fancier recipes that i got but yep. um yeah man it's um, I'm getting out there. How about you? Uh, it's been a bit of a slow start so far. Uh, like it's had some stuff going on around our house and things that I've had to pay most of my attention to, but, uh, found a couple of places with some places close. I'm trying to keep it close to my house with the family and things like that. So I found some of the places there that mm-hmm. I've been, uh, checking out and, couple of places out by the lake that I need to check out a little later and trying to find a play, time to get out your way uh, and do the pheasant thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to be a mid-season, late-season guy for birds this year, but back out to the same place for uh, for deer. And hopefully we'll, we'll discuss that with the people that I go deer hunting on a very soon upcoming podcast. So um, Go ahead and explain... You know, so your friend. Right. Well, let's introduce her kind of now. Sure. So I, I, I really, I can't wait to speak with her. I, I don't want to drop her name, but she said she'd do it. But uh, basically, I go hunting with. Uh, I met a woman that I used to work with at a previous job, whose parents have a place where we go. We we got to talking about hunting and how I wanted to get back into it and how I used to when I was a kid and how I liked it, and. Uh, she said that she had just recently started hunting as an adult at her parents' place north of where I live here and offered to come out and go deer hunting out at her parents' place. And myself and someone who was, she wasn't my boss anymore, but I had worked for there as well, another woman, uh, go up deer hunting north of where I live now. And I thought that that was very interesting. Women in hunting is a thing that... uh, I'm very interested in and is a great place to, if our point here is to recruit new hunters and to get more people involved and to keep more people involved, uh, women in hunting is an interesting Mm -hmm. place to do that because the numbers don't lie. There's a lot of men out there and a proportionately smaller amount of women out there hunting. So I want to hear their stories and get them on. And I've talked to them about it before. So I'm trying to, I will arrange time to get them to talk about their experiences here on our podcast. So, uh, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to, uh, to flesh that out and kind of get her her personal journey there. So yeah, and I think <laughs> the other woman too is has a very interesting story. She moved to 
Well, I'll let her tell her story. I think her story is very interesting, too, how she came around to being a hunter. So I think that's a good... I, th I want to get them on in the next couple of weeks so we can really get that in right before deer season and really right. get that information out before deer gun season. I mean, I know that you can right. shoot deer with a bow, but that's another thing I want to get into too, but that's a time. That's a conversation for another time. <laughs> All right. So, uh, as always get yourself out there, get involved, uh, find, find associations and like-minded individuals and groups of people that will help you learn how to do these things together. Find them on social media, find them through your local sporting goods store, find them through the bait shop, find them through the people, your DNR, call the DNR, uh, ducks unlimited pheasants forever, Rocky mountain elk foundation, quality deer management associations, all of them. North American Wild Turkey Federation, the Goat Federation, there's so many. So get out there and get involved. They all have programs for early hunters. Get involved. I need to take my own advice probably and call the Ducks Unlimited people, which is also on the list. Uh, and, you know, sharpen your teeth and dig deep. Running with the Wolves is the intro and outro to our program. 